want to remind you before we get started the TickPick is the exclusive ticketing partner of Purple Insider and the Blue Wire Network. TickPick should be your first choice to buy football tickets because they save fans money by never charging service fees ever. Everybody, welcome into another Purple Insider. Bring me the news live stream. Matthew Collar, Sam Ekstrom here. If you are just finding us, make sure you go listen to our podcast. It's daily wherever you find your podcast. Just type in Purple Insider and read our written work, purpleinsider.substack.com. Sam, uh, it has been an interesting couple of days following the Minnesota Vikings loss to the Cleveland Browns. What I've seen is a lot of people who are tired and exhausted of this. I've seen some people who are saying, ah, but they've had a difficult schedule. Uh, We've heard Mike Zimmer saying we're actually a good football team. Uh, How are you feeling as as now that you've had time to reflect on what happened on Sunday and where the Vikings stand at one and three? Well, let me just pose a question um, to those that want to point to the close losses as justification for why this team is actually good. Do you want to be the 2013 Vikings? Because they also had a lot of close losses. Um, Their first game of the season, pardon me, second game of the season, they lost by a point um, on the last play or second to last play of the game. The third game of the season, last time they played the Browns, in fact, they lost on a last minute touchdown. They had other games that season where they lost on last second field goals and they had games that went to overtime and they were a five win team. Now, I think people don't look back eight years later and say, hey, you know what? The 2013 Vikings, they were pretty good. No, you don't say that because they only won five games. Um, The 2021 Vikings are off to that type of start. And I I find it interesting that Mike Zimmer is really staking his reputation here on this. Because And Henry Lake pointed this out yesterday when we did the live stream on CCO that He is saying this team is good. Okay, well, what if they end up losing a lot of games? I mean, that that then it falls back right on him. Uh, He's shouldering a lot of this responsibility by being so vocal about um, how good they are. And he might be right. He might see wonderful things in practice. I mean, he might think the talent he has on offense is, you know, superior to what he's had before. He might think the veterans are really good on defense. But if you don't win... If you constantly lose close games, then you're not ever going to get the benefit of the doubt in that situation. So now that we're heading into the teeth of the schedule starting on Halloween, a couple more games to ramp up before that, that the Vikings absolutely have to win, as you've written about. Um, But then it's kind of it's time for Zimmer to to show us what he's talking about with this team. And if he doesn't, then I think he there's a lot at stake for him, for this organization. Uh, cards are kind of on the table right now. So I dug up something interesting from last year. The Vikings lost 27-26 to the Seattle Seahawks. You recall, Russell Wilson drove down the field in the last second, throws a touchdown to DK Metcalf. And here is a quote from Adam Thielen following that game. This is 2020. This is not the other day. He says, The message in the locker room is we can be a dang good football team. We saw it tonight. We saw it the last couple of weeks. We just have to finish. 
One more play. You can go back and look at situations and wish you woulda, coulda, shoulda, but one more play, one more yard, one more stop, things like that. That could have been said by Adam Thielen against Cleveland, against Arizona, and against Cincinnati. But the reality of those games is you don't get bonus points for getting close in the NFL. And also, um, there are plenty of opportunities in those games to win. And, and it also doesn't matter, and you don't get bonus points, if Arizona turns out to be the best team in the NFL. You don't go back and say, well, we only lost on a field goal to the best team in the NFL. Congratulations. Do you get 0.3 points in the standings? That's not how any of this works. And, and so I guess when you're trying to also project forward, and you're trying to say maybe that they're better than their record, so they'll be better going down the road. I guess my question is, well, you got down two scores to Cincinnati. You got down two scores to Seattle early in that game and then had to uh, dominate the second half to keep Russell Wilson off the field. Seattle was a good win, no question. But you uh, got up in the Arizona game and then you blew a two-score lead in that game. And then against Cleveland, could not move the football at all against the team with a defensive line that was very good. So in every one of those games, there were many more opportunities to win them and yet the weaknesses of this team showed up in spades. All the things that we talked about during training camp that were concerning, they showed up when it mattered. I mean, the kicker, we weren't sure if Greg Joseph was the guy and then he misses a field goal. We weren't sure if Rashad Hill at left tackle was something that could stand up against a very good pass rusher against Seattle. It's fine, but not against Cleveland. And I thought there was something really damning too that Mike Zimmer said that also points you toward the quarterback and whether he can turn things around and be consistent enough and be good enough. And Mike Zimmer said about the game against the Browns, well, we couldn't run the ball. So we were in a lot of third down situations where the other team could pass rush. Welcome to the National Football League, Mike. I mean, th this is the thing about if your offense can only succeed when it's second and short or first and 10, and you can run play action or you can run or pass. It, if it can only succeed when everything is ideal, then you're probably a 500 football team, Sam. I, I mean, that's just what you are. And I did some research last night. Teams that start three and three, by the way, and the Vikings would have to go a long way to start three and three teams that start three and three miss the playoffs like 75% of the time. And you know what their average record is? It's eight and eight. Like this, <laughs> this league actually shows you who teams are very early in a lot of seasons. And you're not the Kansas city chiefs. You don't have Patrick Mahomes. So if you fall behind in the standings, there's no belief that you can come back. So I know that the title of this thing is, how they can get back in the race and how they can save their season. And we'll get to that. But I think that there is no use in my mind in looking back and saying, well, they only this, they only that they had a tough schedule football outsiders thinks their DVOA is this, that, and the other thing. who cares. I mean, just none of this is meaningful at all when you've had opportunities to win and your weaknesses are not really all that solvable though. We will talk about some changes that they can make going forward. Yeah, a lot of people are tweeting about the point differential being positive. They're the only team in NFL history that's one and three right. with a plus point differential and two two or less turnovers. Put a banner He's up, man. Pointing to the the project like projected win loss might work in MLB when you have 162 games. Might work in NBA when you have 82 games for things to level out. Doesn't work in the NFL. 
if you lose two games early that you shouldn't lose, um, it's hard to make that up. I mean, that's the difference between 10 and seven and eight and nine. And that could very well be these Vikings this year could be worse than eight and nine uh, with this projected schedule coming up. Um, but you, you look at some of these losses too. It, they haven't played a complete game yet. Now that now they can point towards, well, we're, we're going to figure it out. We're going to get all three units playing complimentary football, but they work so independently of each other. Like I've never really bought in to the idea of complimentary football that, okay, like, you know, that's something we can learn to get the offense playing well and the defense playing well at the same time. I just think you have what you have. You have an offense that is very good when the running game is able to prop up the quarterback a little bit and the offensive line can get moving forward in run blocking and not have to pass protect 50 times a game. You've got a defense that is still figuring things out and is, you know, going to make some good plays, going to have some lapses. They've got some weak links and they're still learning about who these players are. I think those units just are what they are. They're going to be prone to volatility and you're going to have most weeks one of them working, one of them not working, special teams, crapshoot. Um, it's going to be rare that you put all three pieces together. Like in 2017, I think you just had a really good defense. You had really good special teams and you had an offense that didn't shoot itself in the foot. Um, this is not that team. This is certainly not, you know, at the defensive level we've seen in the past, even though they only allowed 14 points in that game, uh, they still had some issues there too. So, I, I I don't know if there are any people on white horses that are going to like come in on chariots to save this thing. But as you alluded to a couple changes, couple tweaks that can be made um, to this lineup. I don't know if it's enough though, to, to carry you um, through the rest of this season and into this gauntlet. And, th- and this is one of the issues with trying to find the path, which is normally how my brain works. Like, all right, let's think about the scenario in which they could get themselves back into the race and make this a really good season. And it's not impossible, of course, but uh, think about who's playing well right now. Uh, Daniil Hunter is playing extremely well. You could not ask anything more of Daniil Hunter for the first four games. Justin Jefferson was not perfect in the first two games, but mostly I'd still give him a B plus. He's been great. Uh, Adam Thielen has been fine. Again, not great against the Browns, but overall Adam Thielen has been good. Uh, Delvin Cook is banged up. That probably isn't going anywhere, which by the way, when we brought up last year, when they signed him to a contract extension, that the risk you take when you hand it off to Delvin Cook 300 times and throw it to him another 50 times, the risk you take is injuries. And here we are with Delvin Cook banged up and two weeks in a row, he has not been able to contribute a whole lot because of that. Um, so anyway, uh, that aside, but think about, um, you know, Brian O'Neill has been really good. I think Harrison Smith has been fine. Patrick Peterson has been fine. Eric Hendricks uh, maybe had a tough day against the Browns, but overall is a terrific football player. Uh, Delvin Tomlinson and Michael Pierce, neither one has set the world on fire. Neither one ever set the world on fire in the NFL. They're good, solid football players who can help a you know a good team, but neither one of them is Aaron Donald, who's going to change the fate of your franchise. My point is that for the most part, and of course, Kirk Cousins, aside from Cleveland, has played extremely well in three out of four football games. So you've gotten the players that are your best guys who are supposed to drive your success to play very good football through four games for the most part, the key players that you have. And you still came up one in three. 
you have not lost any key players to injury aside from Irv Smith and then Delvin Cook missed one game. But aside from that, you haven't lost key players to injury. That's usually a cause for things slipping. Think about this. The offensive line, aside from Christian Derisaw, who we know nothing about, has been 100% healthy. That doesn't happen very often in the NFL. So even though they want to say that there's a lot of bad breaks that have caused this, I don't think that bad breaks have really happened to them, especially in injury form. Uh, Anthony Barr, but Nick Vigil's been fine filling in his spot, as we kind of expected Nick Vigil would be. And, and that makes it even tougher because you're not saying, well, look, it's been a tough start for Kirk, but he'll get it together like he did last year. Like you knew that Kirk Cousins was not going to lead the NFL in picks last year when they were one and five. So you figured the regression would happen and he would get going at some point, but he's been going until this last game where he was pressured an outrageous amount. Um, and so we haven't even really seen the downturn of Kirk Cousins except for that Browns game. And if there's a bad game that just is one of those, what happened there, Kirk, against the Lions or Carolina, your season is basically over. And then we're talking about, all right, who's sticking around? And what do they do? Like, are they moving coaches? Are they trading players? What are they doing here? And I've got a, a very interesting scenario, I think, to throw at you later in the show. But as we look for that path, one of the issues is that the path sort of rests on players that, I'm not even sure really have the capability to raise the level of play over the bar that they need to be to go on a big run. And, and that's where I get caught up on the odds of this happening, of turning around and having a great season. Um, it just seems improbable to me because, and I want you to talk about your piece because I, because I agreed with everything you wrote today at the website, but I also thought, does this, is this going to change stuff? Is this going to, is this going to make them go on a, a magic carpet ride? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I think you're right to be skeptical because when there's 22 starters, it, it's so hard to get a positive, you know, like tangible impact from any one of those players. The, the war, the, the, the baseball stat in football, it's very low for individuals. Um, it's hard to have one guy come in, but at, at, on the other hand, you look at, how Bashad Breland cost them and has given up four touchdowns this year. If you replace him with Cameron Dantzler, who was great against Cleveland, maybe there's some tangible gain there. Um, the Everson Griffin for DJ Wanna move that I suggested, it, it's not like the be all end all because Griffin is still playing. It's probably just giving Griffin another 20 snaps a game and then subtracting those from Wanham. Maybe that turns into, you know, another three pressures and a sack. Um, it's not going to be that enormous. I think the move that probably has the greatest upside and also maybe the greatest risk would be Derisaw, who we know nothing about, as you said. So it's hard for us to say, yes, he's so much better than Rashad Hill. Because like with Griffin and Dantzler, we've seen them be good. It's an obvious move. With Derisaw, we have no clue. All we know is Rashad Hill has been bad. Even in the Seattle game, he didn't grade well. He was horrible against the Browns, 10 pressures allowed. I went through and I looked at all 15 years of PFF data on rookie tackles, and none of them have ever performed worse than Rashad Hill is performing right now. So could it get worse by playing Derisaw? Probably not. Could it get much better? Yes, if the stars align. And the team probably knows where he's at. They've said forever that it's going to be a long process because his health might be good, 
but his like football IQ is still getting there. He does, doesn't have a lot of scheme knowledge right now. Um, so if he can get there and be an improvement on Rashad Hill, I think he could be an improvement by a substantial margin. If by some chance he comes in and performs like Brian O'Neill did as a rookie, that is a huge, huge uplift for that offensive line. So I think that's a move that you try to make if you want maximum results and there's no need to to play it cautiously when you're one and three. I mean, you need, you need results soon. Do you think about sometimes? Cause I do the bets that this team has made and how they've just gotten them wrong. And in, in so many occasions. And what I mean is making the bet of having Rashad Hill start at left tackle and not trying Ezra Cleveland at any point at left tackle. So they made the bet that Ezra Cleveland is a guard and left no doors open for any other result. And Ezra Cleveland has not been a good guard. Uh, So far, his results through four games are poor. His results last year were poor. And yet they're sticking with that. And so then they made the bet that they could draft a replacement left tackle. And then Chris Darisaw gets hurt and he's not ready to play. So then they're forced to have Rashad Hill start. Think about on the defensive line. They made a bet that DJ Wanham would be fine as their defensive end. In fact, even if you go back and think about Yannick Ngakwe and how well he's played for the Raiders this year, um, there's like a long form 30 for 30 on what happened with Yannick Ngakwe Mm -hmm. and the Vikings uh, because that guy has consistently pressured the quarterback, including when he was a Viking, he had five sacks. And yet they just couldn't get rid of him fast enough because they thought DJ Wanham was the answer. So then they bring in Everson Griffin and Steven Weatherly and Everson Griffin is immediately far better than DJ Wanham. So they made that bet that like, Oh, this, this guy will be fine. Um, They made bets on a lot of the free agents, which are still up in the air. Some have worked and, and some have not, but they drafted a lot of guys in the third round, the fourth round, the fifth round in terms of defensive linemen that have not played out very well. Armand Watts got dominated again in the run game. Uh, and and I guess I, I think about how the first iteration of Zimmer Spielman made a lot of bets and had a lot of them pay off. Uh, the the free agents that they signed, they made a bet that Linval Joseph was better than he was in New York. And oh my gosh, he was. <laughs> and, you know, that uh, Terrence Newman could play nickel corner in 2017 and then it worked. And that they could bring in Joe Berger, a veteran um, you know, sort of back up and have him play well. And he did and start a rookie Pat Elfline in 2017 and it worked and he did. Um, and, and that I, I think that is sort of definitive of the second half of the Zimmer Spielman regime is just how many times we've, they've said, no, this is going to work guys. This is going to work. And it really hasn't. And so now they're having to scramble to fix these things and whether they, I think that they will follow you along. Um, but well, I mean, even Breland of like, we'll just sign this corner for 2 million bucks and he'll be a starting outside corner to be fine. When the whole league looked at him and said, eh, I don't know, I don't think so. Right. I mean, so I, I guess uh, that's, that's what I'm thinking about here is just that the bets that they've made have not paid in these first four weeks. And so they either have to make all the adjustments that you said, and I think that they will, um, or they're going to keep doubling down on bets that haven't paid. Yeah, I I think that the latter is the real incrimination. It's not making the bets. Making the the bets on low-cost veterans is fine. I think that was an approach that we endorsed. I think it's the stubbornness of sticking with those bets. Um, Last year, it was Dakota Dozier. We're like, why why are you sticking with this when it's clearly not working? 
And this year you could say the same, like who knows how long Breland is going to wind up being a starter on this team. I think that there was a cause to bench him for this upcoming game. And then Dantzler goes on the COVID-19 list. So it could be Breland again in week five. And then who knows after that. Um, But again, on the offensive line, you don't really have recourse um, to put Cleveland at tackle. You just don't have good tackle depth at all on this team. And they've always kind of had been in that situation where they don't have a lot of options. Um, They will, they will never bench players for performance on this offensive line. I mean, find me an example of, of where that happened. It's always injury related, but it's never performance related, which has always been mystifying to me. Um, So it's sort of like you've got your, your roulette number, right? You're like, okay, it's on eight. And you just keep spinning the wheel and it's not eight, but you say we're sticking with it. Darn it. I mean, we've got a one in 30 chance here. We're going to hit it eventually. Um, And the wheel just has not been kind to the Minnesota Vikings. And I think you got a couple examples on this roster right now. Folks, Minnesota football is back and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet for Minnesota football tickets anymore because tick pick that's T I C K P-I-C-K is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need to go for NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees like the other ticket sites charge, which lets them guarantee the best prices of all of their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference on your purchase price. We've got quite a slate of home games in downtown Minneapolis, including revenge game for Cleveland when they return to Minnesota and plenty more. Visit TickPick.com slash Insider today and use the promo code Insider to save $10 on your first order for Minnesota football tickets. Fans are going back to stadiums, so you have to be ready with the best Minnesota football gear. That's why you have to check out Soda Stick. I saw a ton of Soda Stick gear around training camp. I expect to see it in the stadium as well. There are so many cool designs on hats, t-shirts, and hoodies for the fall weather, including the John Randall design that is extremely cool. There's also the straight cash homie Randy Moss homage, can't stop the Thielen hats, and a personal favorite, the old video game designs, the Tecmo fans will appreciate check it all out at sodastick.com that is s-o-t-a-s-t-i-c-k.com everything is screen printed here in minnesota and i can tell you that the shirts are comfortable and they last because half of my closet is now soda stick at this point again that's sodastick.com minnesota sports inspired goods and keep your eye out for our soda stick giveaways Okay, so let's talk about, since we've sort of diagnosed the issues there, and you talked about the things that they could do, but what has to happen for that? Like, how do they have to play football for them to get back into this? How do they have to play football differently, and are they capable of it? And this is where I hit a roadblock, Sam. It's like, well, they've mostly been who we thought they were going to be. We didn't necessarily think they were going to be one and three, but Uh, If I told you, what if I told you, Sam, that the Minnesota Vikings would struggle against the defensive line that was good? Like, that was expected. Uh, It was expected that the offensive line would not be perfect, even if they are average now and maybe even a little below average after what we saw against Cleveland. But even if they're just okay, like we never thought they were going to be game changing. Cleveland has a game changing offensive line. Those guys can plow people. 
And they gave Baker time to throw, even though he decided he didn't want to throw to his receivers more over them. Uh, but uh, they, those guys, they changed the game. Um, but the Vikings defensive line sort of the same way. They have a game changer. They don't have five game changers or four game changers like teams with elite defensive lines. Even the secondary, it's like Patrick Peterson doesn't have three picks or something in these games. It's not like he's just shutting down the opposing team's best wide receiver like Xavier Rhodes in 2017. And I don't expect him to at any point. And Harrison Smith is not played like an MVP. He's just been a good safety out there. And I don't expect him to anymore. I don't expect him to play that way. And so I guess I think like, well, who needs to play better? What scheme needs to happen? Which I think that Clint Kubiak had a terrific scheme through the first couple of weeks and probably did last week. And it just got blown up by defensive linemen. Like that's where, as we look for that path, I have trouble saying if only X, Y, and Z come together, then you can go on a four or five game streak where you win four out of five, five out of six, something like that. Because last year they had that easy schedule and this year they don't. So like what needs to happen here? Do you have ideas, Sam? It's hard to figure out what this team is really good at because you want to play to your strengths. Um, I think they were hoping for their defensive line to be the ace in a hole with the run stopping. And I'm writing about that for tomorrow morning. It has not been the ace in the hole. I mean, other opposing offenses are running on them every game, 100-plus yards in each game. They're eighth worst in yards allowed. They're fifth worst in yards per attempt. Um, So you're learning that, all right, these two big bodies at tackle aren't really doing a whole lot better than Jaleel Johnson and Shamar Stephan, and that's alarming. I mean, it should not be that way. And oddly... That's happening while Pierce and Tomlinson are playing fine. Like Tomlinson is very highly graded. Pierce has been, I think, decently impactful when he's in there, but that's the problem is they are more or less, and Pierce especially, they're sub-package players. They're in there on rundowns, but this is a passing league. They can't always be in there to, to snuff the run out. And also, it's still incumbent on your linebackers to make tackles, which they didn't against Cleveland. It's It's... It's not just on two guys that can shut something like that down. And that hasn't been available to the Vikings to say, okay, we're going to shut down the run, force teams to throw, get them in bad situations. That hasn't been the case. You know, without Barr, their linebackers aren't quite as deep. Their secondary has flaws. Their run game, I think, is probably the best thing they do. But Dalvin Cook's banged up. So that takes that down a notch. Their Their receivers are good but they still have limitations with this quarterback. I mean, I don't think you can say it's a really good passing game. Kansas City has a really good passing game. Um, The Packers have a really good passing game because their quarterbacks are elite. Um, This is an above-average passing game. I don't think it's explosive. It has not been downfield a downfield threat at all, um, even though that was a big emphasis this offseason. So you hear me talking in circles. There's not really a huge strength of this team. They do a lot of things okay, few things pretty well, few things below average. It screams 500. Um, and do I want to endorse like running the ball more because you're good at it? No, I just think that's bad football strategy. Like the thing that they're best at is the thing that's also the most inefficient. Um, I think you do need to try to lean on those receivers more. We've seen what KJ Osborne can do, and he's been good enough that I think it's beginning to change this team's philosophy. Now for four games, they've been more 11 personnel than we ever saw last year. 
Chris Herndon barely has a role. This is not a two tight end offense anymore. So if they lean into those three wide receivers, um, that might be their best approach to try to outscore teams um, instead of the plotting rushing attack, which they usually stick with too long when it's not working as they did against Cleveland. So I think this is the only answer. The only answer is that when you and I are sitting up there in the press box, we're looking down what we can see. That's really honestly very cool. And anybody who's sat up in the way up high knows this, that when the ball goes up on a deep pass, you look and you see where, like, where's going, who's the receiver. And you sort of, you know, like, Oh, where's it headed. And when it's headed toward Adam Thielen or Justin Jefferson, what automatically I think is he's going to catch it. And it was exactly this way with Stefan Diggs, where you'd look and you'd see the ball traveling in the air and you'd see them gaining that last second separation or positioning their bodies just so they could get that little edge to let it, uh, Thielen is terrific at this, like let it drop right in over their shoulder or Jefferson can rise up over a guy and grab the ball. I mean, these are amazing wide receivers. Uh, and I like the fact that they had a quick game through the first three weeks. Uh, but I think the answer is probably more that you have to hope that variance strikes your way on deep balls and pushing the ball down the field because the quick game still got blown up by the Cleveland Browns good defense. And if even if it's going to work against Seattle, uh, but it's not going to work against the good team in Cleveland, well, you're facing enough good teams the rest of the way. Uh, I've run through them enough times, but like there's a lot of good defenses that you're going to face the rest of the way. So it's not always going to work. A quick game is great. It certainly is. And play action game is great and all those things. Um, and, you know, having those little routes that come underneath for easy completions for eight yards and stuff like that on play actions, those are all good. But I think that ramping up deep shots and I'm, what Tom Brady has really shown us over the last few years is that you can get the ball out quickly on deep shots. Like you don't have to stand there, stand there, stand there, stand there. These guys are fast enough. They get down the field. Like in a way you almost have to play like Jameis Winston type of football where you're saying my guy or your guy is going to go get it. I'm going to throw it up and push it down the field. And I'm going to hope that something amazing happens. And I don't mean do this every time, but they haven't been able to do this almost at all this season. How many deep shots have we seen? I mean, I, I can't think of any that have connected so far. Um, I think that what kept them sort of in the game last year and definitely what kept them in games in 2019 was pushing it down the field. And so I applaud the quick game and I'm not saying get rid of it, especially if you're up in a game, it's great to have, but if you're going to uh, sort of outperform the talent that you have, which is what they have to do the rest of the way, if they go eight and five, think about an eight and five rest of the way that still leaves you with nine and eight. If you go eight and five, the rest of the way, that's a good second half of a season or a good mm -hmm. portion of a season. So you, you have to go, you have to go nine and four. You have, you have to go 10, 10 and three to be a good team. Am I doing this math right? Yeah. Right. 10 and three. Like that's what you have to be to be a good team. How are you going to do that? Uh, it's probably not by running and getting, you know, four yards and then throwing a quick pass or screen. Like, I, I don't think that's the way you're going to do it. And you really do have to outscore teams because the defense is not going to be number one in the league. They have been healthy mostly on defense. If they get a couple of injuries, I mean, you know, the whole thing can fall apart just like it did last year. So that's, that's my only answer. My only answer is to start 
go back to Gary style and to start pushing it down the field, especially if your offense is struggling or you get, you know, down in games, and then it might give you a chance to get hot and put up a bunch of points over a, a section of time to get you back in the season. Yeah, I was a little saddened when I heard Zimmer kind of regretting the deep shot that Kurt took on the interception. He said, oh, we got a little impatient and we, you know, we tried to, to make a big play. I loved the shot. Same. I mean, I it was intercepted, but it was like a 60-yard punt in essence. It wasn't that harmful. You got the ball right back from it. Um, that was the first time all year where I've seen Kirk throw it as far as he can. And I hate to say it, this is where they miss digs because the one thing that Diggs was unbelievable at was adjusting to deep balls. I mean, he could track a ball like no one I've ever seen. Not quite what we've seen from Jefferson, who is incredible intermediate. He's great after the catch. Um, he runs great routes. He's maybe not quite the vertical threat of Diggs. That's okay. He can still be a phenomenal player. Um, but I don't know. I, I don't know if they have like the speed guy to do that incredibly well, like a Tyree kill. But I think you got, you're right. You've got to do more of it. You can't have these 10, 15 play drives. I know Mike, I know Mike Zimmer, they, they wear the defense down. They take time off the clock, but I think Mike would also admit that uh, you can't always survive with those long drawn out drives. You're going to end up settling for more field goals. Bad things will happen. And um, you, you need to strike a little more quickly. So we haven't seen that threat so far with Clint Kubiak. And I, I'm kind of curious your thoughts, too, on what's happening to this offense later in games. We haven't seen mm -hmm. a touchdown now in three consecutive second halves. You were very complimentary of his opening game scripts. And I wonder what's changing later in these games. Have you, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, and uh, it almost reminded me of um, John Filippo, where the first couple of games in 2018, I was like, wow, they got themselves an offensive coordinator. I mean, remember the Green Bay game, they put up like 420 yards passing, they converted on big downs, I was like, wow. And then they come out against Buffalo and get blown, have the doors blown off. And by the end of the season, they're putting up seven points in New England or whatever and struggling. Uh, it sort of felt that way against the Browns. But the second halves of games, yeah, you get off the game script is one of them. Um, but I also think that, you know, it's maybe just played out sort of the way the games have worked. Like in Cincinnati, they did play from behind and they were able to score and move the football in the second half. And then let's see, in Arizona, they were up in the game and sort of played more conservative at times than they should have, including when they ran a few times to set up a long field goal at the end of the half, which was just totally confounding, right? And maybe that's part of it too. And, and the run game started to get shut down against Seattle. I thought that the offense moved the ball great. They just didn't put it in the end zone at mm -hmm. the end. So I would say that they were still good there. And then in this game, outside of one drive, there was just nothing there. Um, so I don't know if it was a second half thing or it was just there was nothing there. Um, but I do think that something that is going to be problematic forever. And, and this is where you end up with this feeling of resignation about this team that I'm sensing from a lot of people is that, you know, Cleveland also mixed up their coverages a lot. And that is something that consistently gets this team off of what they're doing is when they show, show one thing, change to another thing. Even after the game, Justin Jefferson was like, yeah, they kind of showed a lot of different stuff. And there's a, a coach on Twitter that I follow who's talking about um, some of the things that Cleveland was doing to throw off Kirk Cousins' reads. And that's where, that's where it gets tough because when Case Keenum was thrown off 
And and I, I'm not meaning to say he was a better quarterback than Cousins, not by any means. But it felt like he would just throw it up to somebody. Like, I, I don't know what to do. So, digs, like, just do something. Double coverage, I don't care. And this is where I agree with you on that deep shot. It's like, well, let's just take a shot because nothing's working. So, throw it down the field. You get a pass interference. You get a great play. Uh, they did it last night in the Raiders game. When the Raiders were trying to come back, they just threw it up to Henry Ruggs and he got an edge on a guy and uh, nearly turned around that game if they hadn't kind of fallen apart on that drive. Um, but if you don't, this would be the thing for a rookie play caller and rookie offensive coordinator. Like, do you have answers to the things that the best that this are doing against you and against Cleveland? It wasn't just the D line plowing over Rashad Hill. That was certainly helpful, but when you can't find where you're supposed to go with the football, when you don't have the answers, when you don't have whatever adjustment or counterpunch, you end up scoring zero points in the second half. And, and that's how I felt about this. And, you know, I, I am still impressed overall with what Clint Kubiak has done to start the season. And I think he's got a good plan, but yeah, I mean, that might be part of it. And if you're going forward, this is, this is the thing about the number of things that need to align. Remember we did our math equation uh, early in the season. Like you need this, 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 and this. And what are the odds of each one of those things? And the odds that, you know, cousins can overcome more pressure that's on its way. Uh, that Kubiak can overcome the second half issues by uh, dialing up something or figuring out a counter punch to when teams adjust their coverages. The the only answer I have is just the guys who can save this season are Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson. And I don't know if it's anybody else. KJ Osborne, man, you can't, and, and you KJ, can't leave he's that good. out. His, I will say his catch against Cleveland was phenomenal. KJ Osborne deserves credit for sure. I did think in a game like that though, maybe they missed Irv Smith a little. Oh yeah, certainly. Well, I mean, if not for the receiving, for the blocking as well. I mean, that th this is where the the three wide receiver offense can be a burden too, is when you don't have as much help to put on that offensive line where your number two guy is Ben Ellison right now and he has zero catches. Right. That, that's yeah. where we're at. Um, uh, D.D. Westbrook has one catch on the year. He's not doing much either. So you do still kind of have to rely on uh, the big guns, the Jeffersons, the Thielens, and, and in my opinion, the Osbournes, but, but just to add on to what you were saying about Keenum, who is willing to take those shots and they more than often worked out with him. Um, Cousins, if he encounters something confusing, if he can't read a defense, what's his instinct? Turtle, hold yeah. the ball, Throw it probably away, get maybe. sacked, maybe yeah. try to escape and still get sacked. Um, usually he doesn't give his receivers that shot. And I think that's that's a Zimmer influence a little bit. He didn't like the Keenum shots either, and he certainly doesn't like the Cousins' carelessness. So that could be a product of the system and the head coach, but he's not a quarterback who's going to make something out of nothing. And in fact, against Cleveland, you could tell he was feeling the ghosts. He felt some pressure, and then it got in his head, and he started getting more hesitant with those second and third reads because that clock was going off in his head. And that's a Cousins' problem. Um, that is going to pop up whenever the offensive line struggles the way it did. And that's where that feeling of resignation for fans comes in, where it's like, you know, I think that there, I think that there's fringe people who always are going to yell at each other on every side of everything, right? Whether it's political or food on Twitter or Kirk Cousins. But if you were 90% of the fan base, I think, wants him to succeed, of course, and thinks that he's really good, but also knows exactly what it looks like when it's going to be a problem. And that is exactly what Cleveland was. It was like, uh-oh, they have, they have the kryptonite. 
they have the answers for Cousins, and this is going to be a really long day, and they're going to need a pick six, a punt return for touchdown, a something, something, something that's going to get them a win because the quarterback's not going to be able to carry you. And I was thinking about this as I was watching Justin Herbert last night versus Derek Carr because it felt like this is the future and this is the past. And I think Derek Carr is good. I mean, just like I think that Jimmy Garoppolo and Jared Goff and Kirk Cousins are all good quarterbacks because you know what? Seem bad quarterbacks. Nick Mullins, for example, you just lose games. But I was thinking about the teams that are succeeding right now. And let's just go through them. Buffalo, they drafted a quarterback who has a monster arm and who is on his rookie contract and can run. Okay, they're three and one. The Chargers, monster quarterback, huge arm, rookie contract, three and one. Denver has a very cheap quarterback and Teddy Bridgewater three and one Uh, Vegas. They have a Kirk cousins like quarterback. So they're three and one Cincinnati rookie quarterback contract, Baltimore rookie quarterback contract, Cleveland rookie quarterback contract. They're all three and one. Uh, Let me go over to the NFC and I'm sorry, this is tedious. Uh, Dak Prescott is the opposite here. He's got his big contract, um, but he can run and he's mobile. So then uh, Arizona rookie quarterback contract, LA Rams, Matt Stafford, a little different. We'll see if they continue to be good. Uh, Green Bay, all-time great quarterback, so that's just totally different. Uh, Carolina has a cheap quarterback in Sam Darnold. Tampa Bay has an all-time great quarterback, so those are your best teams. So what you have is this very clear separation. You, I, I counted one team, and it was only Vegas, that is similar to what the Vikings have here that is actually good. And this leads me to my question for you, Sam. If the Vikings lose one of the next two games, would you – try to trade Kirk Cousins at the deadline. Uh, when's the, is the deadline during the bye, like last year? I think it's at week eight. Okay. Or maybe, maybe it is week six, but uh, either way, it's a, it's somewhere in there. <laughs> I mean, are you giving up your second round pick with it? Like what's the, what's the, uh, the selling point to whoever's, who are you giving him to? Okay. Let me make a case here. Okay. Because Mi- because my 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 take would be, sure, but who wants him? Okay, the Miami Dolphins have no answers at quarterback, none whatsoever. They are one in three with a team with high expectations. Tua is bad and hurt. Uh, as much as I liked him coming out of college, he's just been not good, and he's hurt. And he was hurt in college, so that might be either playing Jacoby Brissett with a good team. Every other team in that division is one and three. They might believe that they can turn it around and get in the playoffs and then sign Cousins to a contract extension. Remember, Miami was in on Deshaun Watson, but so is the FBI. So you can't really do that. That is the other team, by the way, the Houston Texans. And I don't know what the um, cap implications are, but if you traded Cousins to Houston, they would have their quarterback maybe going forward. You could sign him to a contract extension. How about this team? The Pittsburgh Steelers, the one in three, they're struggling. Uh, Joe Nelson tells me the deadline is November 2nd. So uh, after the Dallas game, but you could mm-hmm. do it at the deadline like they did on Gakwe last year. How about the Indianapolis Colts? Their quarterback is bad and hurt. They're one and three, but they could still get back into the playoff race. There are enough of these teams that make me think, is, is somebody interested? Could somebody? And you never know who's going to get hurt in between. And those are AFC teams too. So I don't know. I mean, I guess it just ran through my mind. We've talked so much about the coach and the general manager, but the where they stand with Cousins, if you go to one and five, I mean, what's the point in sticking around if you could get anyone 
to take him that, I mean, at that point you should know that you're drafting a quarterback very high next year. Um, Like as we've talked about many times in many circumstances, there are things that this team like could do and should do that we know they won't do. And I think this probably falls into that with this regime. Now, if the regime, like if Zimmer is fired and Spielman is left to pick up the pieces and it's clear that the team is in fire sale mode, Maybe he makes some calls. I still don't know like who's going to accept that contract. Although the implication is, is that the Vikings are bad, but Cousins has still like put at least three good games on film. Mm-hmm. And maybe he adds a fourth or fifth and they still lose. Um, so some th- there could be a team intrigued by that. But what did you just lay out? You don't want to have the burdensome contract, especially you don't want to have a burdensome contract of a Kirk Cousins type. Um, so you go into next year, whoever this trading team is, and you still have that burden. I think that that's a pretty like big reason not to make the trade. I love the talker though. I think we should write it out. I think we should talk more about it. Um, I just don't think it's going to happen. Has there been a high profile quarterback traded at the deadline in recent memory? Do you have any, any comps? The only one I could think of was a very different situation. That was Carson Palmer being traded to uh, the Cincinnati Bengals, or I'm sorry, from the Cincinnati Bengals mm-hmm. to the uh, Oakland Raiders at the time. Then he didn't save their season, but that was one of those like uh, situations where Carson Palmer was going to hold out. He wasn't going to play. So they had to trade him and then they traded him mid season. So no, it would be very rare and it would be difficult to figure out the cap implications of how in the world you would do that. And I haven't, researched the details yet i will if they lose this next game i i suppose (laughs) but it just made me think like if you know the answers to the test already which i think they do after this week if they lose then you know the answers the answers are you ain't making the playoffs if you lose this next game and you go to one and four and you can't beat the own four lines you're not making the playoffs there's no magical run coming um, and there's also, if you are one and four to start the season, there's no reason to keep this quarterback. It, I mean, ultimately I was listening to Rex Ryan talk the other day, and this may be Rex's saltiness from his time in New York and Buffalo, where he never had a quarterback, but Rex Ryan was saying, look, where it is, where things are now, it's your quarterback. I mean, that's well, you can defense some weeks and in an in individual Super Bowl, for example, you can defense, you can win that one game. But ultimately, what your franchise is comes down to how good your quarterback is. So 12 get- games of Kellen Mond would be invaluable sure. to, to this organization to know what they have. That would be enormous. Right. Why not? And if Kellen Mond can't play, then you move on to the next guy. And if Kellen Mond looks great, then there you go. At least, and the other thing too is, at least it would give people something. If you just go along the rest of the way, and you go six and 11 or seven and 10. And I, this is in the scenario that they lose this game against Detroit, which I don't think they will. I mean, what kind of football is that to, to watch for people? And I, and I'm always thinking about this for just, you know, because the way that we do our jobs is very connected to the fan base. And so I'm just thinking about the, how just, tough that would be to just watch week after week knowing you're out of it's like maybe like watching the twins this year did anyone watch the second half of the season right no so so if you make a trade that puts then kellen mond to the starting position at least things become interesting for the rest of the season yeah and you get you probably still get a great draft pick i mean either either mond is great 
um, which is encouraging for the future, and you get a middle middling draft pick, or he's awful, you learn what you need, and you get a great draft pick. I'm liking this scenario more and more, but they'll beat Detroit. They don't. Yeah, lose they'll beat Detroit. Detroit. Yeah, they'll beat Detroit. What, what's then, your stat? What's your stat again? Say you give give it to us for the tenth yeah. time. They, Kirk Cousins Kirk, against Detroit. Yeah, Kirk Cousins six and zero against Detroit. Twenty twenty four and one against everybody else. So there you go. He will beat Detroit. There will be no kneecaps bitten uh, at U.S. Bank Stadium. I am certain of that. But if we're wrong, then it is. Then it is really on. So thank you for your time, Sam, and uh, all of you watching. Thank you for yours. And reminder: our podcast with lots of different guests, rotating guests uh, every different day. Jeremiah Searles, former Viking. Sage Rosenfels was on the other day. We had Chris Carter on the show as well. So uh, feel free to pop in and listen. It's Purple Insider, wherever you get your podcast, purpleinsider.substack.com. And uh, we'll see if things get interesting one way or the other. If they make it a magical season, then we'll remember this conversation and how funny it was. And if they don't, then there will be plenty more to discuss. Thanks for your time, Sam. Yep. Thanks, Collar. Thanks, everybody.